If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review. And if you really enjoy the show, share it with a friend. It's how we build community, and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I had to sound certain when things were not. I had to put on a game face. I had to be brave, I guess, when I wasn't. So I was able to just fly from Newark to Chicago to Cincinnati. I could have just spread it to I don't know how many people. This is worse than the movie Contagion. I'm the Gwyneth Paltrow. We had already been at sea for over two weeks. There was not a single symptom. Not, no one even had a cold. But that was our first taste of being denied and uh, a little bit of a reality check because we were in this safe bubble in Antarctica. At the end of 2019, cruising was a $150 billion industry, employing over a million people worldwide. And when seaports started closing, ships at sea found themselves stranded. One of the first people I spoke with when I began this podcast was Brian. He has spent much of his professional life at sea, doing a job he loves, one he says he can't wait to return to someday. And when the pandemic first hit, Brian found himself working as part of a crew of 200, taking care of another 200 passengers on an expedition cruise from Argentina to Antarctica. He told me about his journey and the passion he's found for helping others explore some of the most remote corners of our planet and make sense of what they find there. This is COVID Stories. My very first job out of college was Disney Cruise Line as a singer and dancer. I was Quasimodo, uh, <laughs> as Gus Gus in Cinderella, the Fat Mouse. I played all those gorgeous uh, leading man roles, of course. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I had that as a job, and, and then I went to New York and then started my career with you know Broadway and national tours and that sort of thing. But then uh, I the recession hit. There was 13 shows closed on Broadway in one January. And I just, I was fed up with New York. I could not stay there one moment longer. I sort of had a mental breakdown. Uh, The stress of the city, uh, trying to be able to afford to live there. And there just wasn't enough jobs. And then, you know, who knows? Maybe I wasn't telling them enough. I don't know. So I left and uh, then started being a teacher for Cincinnati Public Schools. I, I was just a you know a long term substitute, and a friend of mine that I worked for um, with Disney Cruise Line many years ago said, "Why don't you come back to sea?" And in 2015, so five years ago, I went back to sea, and I've been at it ever since. Uh, went back initially to Disney Cruise Line, but now I am with uh, Silver Sea, and um, very happy to be with Silver Sea, and I can't wait to continue with them. And yeah. So I was the expedition activity host for the Silver Cloud. Uh, It's part of Silver Sea Expeditions. The expedition vessels go to some of the most uncharted places on the planet. Uh, I was in Antarctica when the pandemic began. 
And so I, I provided entertainment and activities on board the ship, but also I gave lectures because it is more of a science-based ship. You don't have a cast of singers and dancers. You have a cast of scientists. So there's an ornithologist, marine biologist, and uh, I did paleontology lectures so this was a perfect job for me uh, as a mixture of entertainment and science. So yeah, so it goes all over the world. It doesn't stay in one location. My ships just continue through the seasonal changes of the Earth. So normally we would be in the Arctic right now, but no ship is sailing. You know, I've worked on pleasure cruises and expedition cruises. They're very different animals. It doesn't even feel like they're in the same industry Pleasure cruises are all fun. It's always very celebratory. And that's not the case with expedition. It is fun, but it is about getting out into nature very closely in very secluded places and learning about it, appreciating it, and sometimes mourning what we've done to it. So there's always this sort of reverence of, my God, we need to protect this. You know, I see that on the faces of the guests. I hear the discussions. I have the discussions with them. For example, we were in Tristan da Cunha, which is the most uh, remote inhabited island in the world. It's in the South Atlantic, thousands of nautical miles from anywhere. And, you know, we were going around these islands and there was plastic everywhere. They're in the middle of nowhere. It's, it wasn't that community, but it's, you know, the currents have brought them all around to, to these islands with northern rockhopper penguins and sub-Antarctic seals. And, and I found a seal, a pup, with a ring around its neck in one of the most secluded places in the world. I couldn't believe what I was seeing there in such a, you know, remote place. So expedition. It's a learning experience. People are going on those cruises to, to see what very few humans have seen and to learn, to educate themselves, and then to be an ambassador for it. You know, it is obvious because I go to the polar regions that we are experiencing global warming in an accelerated way. There was very little snowfall this year. What I saw was penguins in the snow at the beginning, but as it went, it was just mud. In fact, while I was down there, Antarctica had its warmest day on record. I believe it was like 75 or 78 degrees, something like that in Antarctica. I was, I was taking my you know, outer layers off. It was amazing and, and terrible to see that reality. And the guests could see it too. And they hopefully go back and say, listen, it's real. We were doing sailings from Ushuaia, Argentina, to Antarctica in sort of a loop, 10-day cruises, sometimes 14 days if we were to include some other sub-Antarctic islands. And we heard about it happening, you know, this was in maybe end of December, January, beginning of January, but, you know, that this was spreading in uh, Wuhan. And we did have a crew member who was from that region and she decided to go home. And we're like, is she crazy? She wanted to be with her family. So we, we heard this happening. And the thing is, I didn't think of it any more than SARS, swine flu, avian flu. We've seen multiple 
influenzas and coronaviruses come from uh, different regions in Asia and spread, but it doesn't, you know, then cause much of an issue elsewhere. So I just thought it was going to be another one of those. Boy, how wrong I was. You know, my story is, is we were arriving in Cape Town. They wouldn't let me off. They wouldn't let any of us off. The total was 45 days at sea because the last day that I was on land was in South Georgia, looking at those wonderful king penguin colonies. We were supposed to then go, of course, to Tristan da Cunha and get off on that remote island. And the island council would not let us visit, which is very disappointing for the guests. You have people who tick off countries and regions and remote islands and that sort of thing. So that was very disappointing for them. We had already been at sea for over two weeks. There was not a single symptom. Not, no one even had a cold. I mean, this is a small ship with just 200 guests, 200 crew. It's, it's not a big ship at all. But that was our first taste of being denied and uh, a little bit of a reality check because we were in this safe bubble in Antarctica. It became, rather than just light entertainment, it became about keeping their minds occupied, you know, trying to spread positivity. I became a big listener. Uh, I had to create all kinds of ways to keep them occupied because it was quite scary and there was a lot of tears, especially because a lot of cruisers are in the twilight of their lives. I mean, they're in their 80s. And for me too, it was, it was emotional for me. I had to sound certain when things were not. I had to put on a game face. I had to be brave, I guess, when I wasn't. And because the crew did so well, you know, it wasn't just me doing this. The crew, despite it happening to them as well, they knew they had a job to keep the guests happy or at least, you know, console them. So we just continued sailing and arrived to Cape Town and they wouldn't even let us come into port. And we just circled around and around Cape Town waiting for them to let us in. They eventually let us in to get provisions and fuel. And while we were there, we were able to work with the government to get at least the passengers off. They had to have a confirmed flight that was going. And so they would take them in a van straight to the tarmac, and then they flew straight home. No visiting Africa, nothing. They didn't even go through border patrol. It was just straight to the airport. Boom, they're gone. Now, that's the day I was supposed to get off, okay? And I was not allowed. So, you know, my crew did such a fantastic job. And when we realized we were going to go into Cape Town, finally, we had this big final, you know, presentation and and there was just a collective sob fest because <laughs> we had been all through this together and safely. And now we were going into a world that was safe when we left and it's no longer now. So now, once the guests left, my job became entertaining the crew and keeping the crew occupied. Our captain was so good, so compassionate, full of empathy, but also keeping things structured. What we would put out for the guests to let them know what we were doing on the schedule for the day was called the Chronicles. Well, I made the Coronicle uh, <laughs> for the crew once the guests were off. So we had the Coronicle for the daily activities, you know, which involved yoga and, uh, you know, ping pong tournaments and 
and uh, poker and who knows what else we did, movies on the big screen. We kept them occupied and, and for the most part happy. So we had to continue our journey and we decided to go north and we went all the way up the Atlantic. I crossed the equator in the ship. We of course could not go into any ports in Africa because as, as you go north, uh, not only uh, were borders closed, but also safety in ports did not exist. We also had to avoid piracy because that does exist there off the off the west coast, uh, there in like the Bay of Guinea. So we swung way out of the way there. And the idea at first was like to go to Gibraltar. Perhaps we'll be able to get in there, maybe Lisbon. We ended up in the Canary Islands in Tenerife. We arrived and there were ships everywhere. It was a cruise ship graveyard. And so basically, we just waited there and floated or at anchor and uh, waited for a time in which we were allowed to come into port. So now, my 45th day at sea, 35th day since I tried to repatriate in Cape Town, and, uh, you know, we got a message from our HR department saying, okay, this person, this person, this person, this person, only 23 of us. It was the Americans, the Europeans, and of course the Brits. I would like to include them in the European, but they have Brexit now. And, and that affected them. So we got on a flight, a charter flight, that apparently was by the German government. I'm not sure what happened there. Somehow we were able to get on it because it was all full of Germans only and then us. There was no social distancing. It was a packed flight from Tenerife to Frankfurt. We arrive in Frankfurt and the police are there and other uh, authorities and they start splitting us up. If you had a Schengen visa, you could leave the airport. So it was the Canadians, the Americans and the Brits. None of us were allowed out of the airport. Had they stayed in the European Union, those Brits would have been able to go out (laughs) in Frankfurt. But since Brexit happened, they were not allowed. We all slept on the floor on the benches with our face masks on, uh, you know, that night. We were supposed to then fly to North America through Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Atlanta, and then I was going to go Atlanta to Cincinnati. Well, Netherlands would not let us fly through their airport. So we had to, two hours before our flight leaves, figure out a way to get to the United States directly from Germany. So our company was able to quickly find this flight to Newark, New Jersey. We don't know if we're going to be able to get to our home state or whatever. So we got on that flight to Newark, New Jersey, and I remember we flew right over New York City. And when I saw Lady Liberty, I started crying because it was such a um, uncertain time. I, you know, I had no idea how long it was going to take. I have often heard on the ships, oh, well, you have an American passport. You got the best passport in the world. It's an envy of my colleagues to have the American passport. That did not matter once the pandemic happened. You know, while I was waiting there in South Africa, not once was I able to get a hold of our embassy. I left messages, no one called me back, no one answered the phones. It was an automated answering machine. I don't think anyone was actually there. So uh, that was very disappointing. And, you know, and then we continued and, and then to go into Germany and to be denied to just go spend the night in the hotel across the street. Fine, I've spent the night in, in airports before, 
But yeah, I mean, we were denied, the Canadians, the Americans, and the Brits. And it felt like we were carriers. We were dirty. We were vermin that were spreading disease. What I want people to know is that seafarers, cruise ship workers, were not treated with dignity from the very beginning of this pandemic. We let people die. You know, the CDC, with its no-sail order and other policies, kept ships out at sea. And in that no-sail order, it said that they were not to burden the local, state, and federal governments with their fight against the coronavirus. So they were out to sea without proper medical training for a novel virus. They were left to fight it on their own without the correct equipment. Ships don't have ventilators. They come with one or two doctors and a small team of nurses, depending upon the size of the ship. How did they think that those people were going to take care of the virus? You can't quarantine on a ship. It's just going to be spread from one room to another, and there's many touchable surfaces. We have railings all over the place because if there's rough seas, you grab onto the railings. So there's a lot of things to touch. The best thing to do, as anyone in the industry will tell you, is to get people off the ship and then quarantine them on the land, not on the ship. And what they left was all these crew and guests at first in these giant floating petri dishes. And with such a deadly virus, shame on the CDC, the United States governments and governments around the world for not assisting, even though their own citizens were working on those ships. Here's the crazy thing, though arrived in Newark. And that's when I realized that America had failed to protect its citizens. Because I came from Germany, which was considered a hotspot. And remember, the president talked about Germany, Spain, and China. I arrive, there's no one, no officials to greet us, to tell us what we need to do. No questions about if we worked on cruise ships, because they weren't allowing cruise ship workers into our ports. But we were able to come in through Europe, no problem. It was like they didn't even know. We had collectively as a group, as we were the 23 of us that were able to get off the ship that day, said, we are not going to mention that we are from a ship. So we just didn't volunteer that information. We all put our, we all have Siemens books, which is kind of a, another passport, but just for seafarers. I put that in the bottom of my backpack. If I was asked, then I would say, I worked on a ship, but we were in Antarctica. When they said what we, what we do, they say we were researching in Antarctica. We didn't say how or how we got here or whatever. And when I got to America, that question wasn't even asked. One person took my temperature. No one asked me any questions about where I had been or what I was doing. Nobody told me that I need to go into quarantine for 14 days after I arrived. Nothing. You know, no testing of any kind. Nothing. Meanwhile, my Kiwi friends arrive in New Zealand. They're greeted with police. They are greeted with health officials. They are tested. They have their temperature taken. And then they are taken to, and these are the Australians as well, taken to a hotel paid by the government for 14 days to make sure that spread doesn't continue. And look how well New Zealand and Australia are doing now. So I was able to just fly from Newark to Chicago to Cincinnati, I could have just spread it to I don't know how many people. This is worse than the movie Contagion. I'm the Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, (laughs) and they did nothing. So luckily I did not have it, or at least I didn't have any symptoms. Now, of course, we know we can be carriers. 
And I could have. I did my own quarantine. I rented a cabin in the woods. <laughs> it was quite nice, actually. Old hunting lodge. And I stayed there for 14 nights, you know, because I had sense enough to do it. Not because my government said that that needed to happen. So that's when I was like, you know what, this is why we failed. But when I arrived home, I thought that I was going to be one of the last people to make it home. That was not the case. And so I became an advocate as soon as I arrived. I think the last day I worked, or the last day I was getting paid, I think was April 18th or something like that. No idea when I'll go back to work. I have no clue. I mean, a vaccine would be really when things could really start and, and then maybe we could get back to some sort of a, a, a normal. Uh, I don't like it, by the way, when people call this the new normal because I don't think, I think after this will be the new normal. But I have no idea. You know, maybe if there's rapid testing, not just for antibodies, but for the virus itself, uh, you know, maybe that could get people on ships. A, uh, a retroviral, antiviral medication that is, you know, works very well, that knocks that virus out. Maybe that could get people on ships. I don't know. And, and, and two, you know, the ports, when, when will they open up anyway? You know, to let people visit and come in. But, you know, you have ports around the world whose main income is from ships coming in like Ketchikan, Alaska. That's their industry. It's ships coming and visiting them. What are those people going to do? Their entire summer season is gone. That's millions for Southeast Alaska. And so much of the income for the native groups in Southeast Alaska is from ships and from people visiting them, learning about their cultures and spending money. What are they going to do? So... I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. What, what do you do when there's 40 million Americans out of job? But I don't need to have the answers. All, I, all we need to do is keep moving forward. For me, I think, you know, I'll be able to wait out because I was able to save. I'm going to be okay. There's a lot of people that are not in my privileged position. What are they going to do? This podcast features the stories of real people. To learn more about Brian and his journey, visit our website, covidstoriespodcast.com. You'll find show notes for each episode with ways to directly support the people featured here and the passions that fuel their stories. COVID Stories is a self-supported podcast. It's produced and edited by me, Nathan J. Vaughn. To learn more about how you can support this project or to submit your own story to be featured in a future episode, visit our website. The address, again, is covidstoriespodcast.com. Thanks for listening. This is is COVID stories.